Welcome to the Conversion Tracking Playbook, where we share how to overcome tracking challenges that e-commerce brands face today and real-world examples of transforming data into insights. Welcome back to another episode of the Conversion Tracking Playbook. I'm your host, Brad Redding, and... I took last week off. Well, I took a little five-day vacation with the family. And if you haven't, if you're a new listener or uh, a long-time listener, I don't stack up these recordings over months and months. I try to do them maybe a week or two ahead of time to make, st- make sure that everything's current. And you deserve that. I like staying on top of what's out there and sharing what we're seeing, what we're hearing, market shifts, et cetera. And that is actually part of today's episode. So today's episode is going to be around the term signal. So I've been seeing different solutions talk about signals more in their marketing, whether it's through emails or websites or LinkedIn, etc. And I wanted to share our thoughts on this because historically, Elevar has not led with signal in our value prop We've typically used conversion tracking as the most obvious one, accurate data collection, et cetera, et cetera. So I thought I would define signal and specifically getting into signal loss because honestly, a lot of this comes down to, in my opinion, nomenclature. If we look at a in e-com, but a different example, headless versus composable commerce versus PWAs, I think that that was also an area that to me, it was... Again, I'm sure the diehards will be coming after me, maybe not literally, but explaining why headless is different than composable and how it's different. But generally speaking, headless versus composable, I think even Shopify changed their term. They went moved from headless, promoting headless to promoting their their composable components. To me, it's like, okay, just kind of like a different term for the same technology. Anyways, I'll get off the headless train. This is not an episode on headless builds. This is on signal loss. So... I'm going to define signal. So what is signal? Why it's important? What are the types of signals? Where do signals come from? Explicit versus implicit signals? And what headwinds do signals face? So let's start with a definition of a signal. I just want to reiterate, this is my personal opinion, factual or not. I'm just going just gonna to keep it real here. So the definition of signal to me is in its simplest form, It's data points captured by a channel that's used to match back to users in their system. I will rewind about three years ago when I was on a call with Facebook when we were in there. They used to have a technology partnership program. I I forget what it was even called. But it was in the very early days of the conversion API where if you've been around in the e-com and conversion API space long enough, Facebook used to pay. They would they would pay you, the brand, to pay us, Elevar, to implement the conversion API because it was such a, at that time, they had told me it was their number one initiative inside their ad, like the ads department or whatever, whatever they call that function within Facebook. But it was their number one initiative. And he actually used the word signal. He said, the reason why this is so important to us is because the loss in signal that we are getting from our pixel. And whether you use the word pixel or tag, whatever you call it, it's your Facebook JavaScript pixel that you implement, implement on site. And the job of that pixel is to send data back to Facebook. So then Facebook can do its job of matching 
activity on their platform, whether it's a view or a click of an ad or anything anything else within the platform to activity on your website. So to me, that is in the very basic form or basic definition, that is what Signal is. A channel like Facebook or Google Ads or TikTok, they just want to know who is on your site and attributes around them. So the attribute could be an event. So what, what type of activities are they taking? And you know, potentially attributes like email, phone number, cookies, which I'm going to get into in a second. But that's it. it is. It's data points captured by a channel used to match back to users in their system. That's the way I think about it. So that's Signal. Why is it important? Most ad platforms are public. So if we talk about the big ones, Facebook, Google, they need to continue to grow. They're public. They have stock. People own stock. People don't like to see declines in stock price. They don't like to see performance dropping. There's certain expectations of hitting growth over certain periods. In order to grow, most of these platforms, if we, let's just talk meta, they rely on advertising. Their advertising needs to perform. Without the ability for meta to match or predict activity in apps owned by meta, so the meta, Facebook app, Instagram, et cetera. So without the ability for them to match or predict activity in app like views or clicks of ads or videos watching, et cetera, to performance on your website, they know that advertisers will scrutinize spend if there is not a clear ROI. This isn't, this isn't my hypothesis. There, this is factual. We can just rewind two years ago when the iOS chaos hit, which really had nothing to do with meta per se. Apple made a change in the type of signal that they are sharing or allowing Meta to capture, which I'm going to get into that in a second. So once they cut that fire hose off of signal that Apple was sharing to Meta that Meta could then use to match activity on a website to a user, what we see happen on Facebook? Their ability to report on performance declined. And if we rewind to LinkedIn, Twitter, et cetera, we'll see all these different folks that were sharing their moving budget from Facebook to Snapchat or Pinterest or TikTok, whatever it might be. They're doing holdout tests. They're cutting all Facebook spend and seeing what happens. And I'm not going to open that can of worms, but I think there were some people that would essentially say, hey, yes, can did Facebook lose some of its ability to better target the users to put ads in front of, in front of the right people or right prospects to purchase? Yes, likely. But it's not like when iOS 14.5 hit and then so that rolled out and you woke up the next day that magically everyone's behavior, user behavior on Facebook or Instagram suddenly changed. The same people are going on there, doing the same things, scrolling through the same feeds, doing the same activities. But there was some friction added or headwinds added into Facebook's ability to collect signal. So that's, that's reason number one to me why as, again, just going back to signal or conversions or event data you're sending to to these platforms, why it's important. The second uh, reason why signals are important is populate performance reports. So if you look at or watch the Elevar demo, or if you just read our value props, we the, our ability to send more and better data to platforms allows channels like Facebook reporting to be better. Again, uh, some will argue it's more accurate, less accurate, whatever. But just think like ROAS will be will, will improve by 20, 30, 40 percent. So if Facebook has more data from user activity on a website, 
thus they're able to match activity on your site to user activity in their app, then performance reports should improve. Platforms use data, as I just mentioned a minute ago with uh, iOS and Apple, they use data from known conversions, so known activity on your site, to go find other similar users. So if they have hundreds of thousands or millions of data points of users on your sites, so they know who's converted or who's, who's performed key activities like leads, add to cart, initiate checkout purchase, but they also have data on users that didn't do any of that, they're going to use that to go find more users. So this is where, in, in, what, in the word signal, the way I define it is just you're sending data. You're sending conversion data, event data, attribution data, proper data, whatever you want to call it. You're sending as much data as you can to these platforms so they can report more accurately and go find more users or more customers more efficiently. If we look at some of the other solutions that exist today, media mix modeling, post-purchase surveys, and other solutions, these have helped fill in some of these gaps of quote-unquote signal loss or incorrect signal signals. Let's say conversion tracking is broken for whatever reason. Then some of these, these solutions can help fill in the gaps. Now let's go through types of signals. I'm really sick of saying the word signals. If it's not obvious, I'm going to go change our homepage H1 to be signal, <laughs> improve your signals. All right, so three types of signals. Typically, again, if I just think about abstract, high level, 30,000 foot view, signal is user data. Again, going back to the definition of signal I used a minute, a minute ago, it's data points captured by a channel that's used to match back to users in their system. So now let's go and let's dig in one, one layer deeper, one piece of this onion deeper of types of user data, aka signals that you are likely exposed to. Number one, Personal data, email, phone number, name, address. So this is very explicit and specific data. I go to your website, I enter my email in your pop-up, or I place an order, I enter my email. That is information that's very specific to me, and that is data that can be sent to Facebook and thus be part of the signal that Facebook is receiving about my activity on your website. Type 2. Unique identifiers. So these are non-personal, so not an email or phone number, but they are unique identifiers. So think user ID, customer ID, external ID, cookies, session IDs. So these are still unique most of the time. They are still unique to me, Brad, but they don't literally say Brad in the customer ID value. So the Shopify customer ID is, it's, uh, I don't know, I think 10-digit numeric value cookies are going to be various strings you know alphanumeric strings same thing with session ids so these are unique to me but they are not necessarily personally identifiable but they can be used if i come back multiple times to your site the idea of these type of unique identifiers is is to recognize or stitch together me my activity even though it's not brad it's abc123 I did these different activities across these different days. So it gives a, a more holistic picture or, or quote unquote 360 degree view of my activity over a certain time period. That has headwinds, which we'll get into in a second. The third type of signal is what I, I define as non-unique identifiers that can be used to triangulate to a user. So this is IP address, browser information, like your browser and OS device, your screen width and size, your language settings, etc. 
device information. So think your iPhone. So the device, the device info. So there's a couple unique identifiers for, for each device that are unique to that device. So thus, I own an iPhone. My iPhone has a unique identifier. That unique identifier used to be shared with uh, different apps. So they people were functioning or doing things within an app. So if I was clicking on ads inside the Facebook app, if Apple was sharing that non-unique identifier to Facebook that was ABC123XYZ, Facebook could then start to connect that activity. Many JavaScript, so if we go back to just when you have to implement new tracking, historically, you'd either get a PDF you'd, you'd be sent, or now it's just typically a doc on, on their website. That's, hey, copy and paste this script at the top of your theme.liquid, put it at the very top, that way we don't miss anybody. If the page doesn't finish loading, many JavaScript trackers, were was they were meant to do this. So they were going to collect different information through the browser, through an implicit manner, and use that in their own internal fingerprinting to try to match to users, match to activity, et cetera. This one, so ironically enough, if you go back to episode number one on this podcast, Conversion Tracking Playbook, it was with our VP of Engineering, Thomas, and it went through in very, very deep detail. The title is Why Can't All Client-Side Tracking Move to Server-Side Tracking? And we talked about this specific topic. So you can go through, go listen to that if you have not. So that is, again, triangulating user, taking different data points and trying to use all these different data points to target a specific user. So think like if you're looking at a map or something in Google Maps and you put in your address where it has a little blue dot over a map, that's the way I look at this is using latitude, longitude, et cetera, et cetera, and, and trying to map down to a specific address. Where do signals come from? So we just talked about personal data, like email, phone number, unique identifiers like user ID, customer ID, and then non-unique identifiers like IP address, browser info, device info, et cetera. Where do these signals come from? Or where, where does this data come from? Number one, user inputs. So going back to the email pop-up, I enter my email into your pop-up. I place an order. I complete a quiz. So that is, again, me, Brad, I am... I am giving you my information. The second example, so unique but not identifiable IDs that are generated by the host server or the host platform. If you are Shopify, just think a customer ID that's generated by Shopify or Shopify sets their own cookies on your site. Technically, it's Shopify site. Shopify is the host server. If you are on WordPress or you're a headless site you where you own the server, you can, you are likely, if you aren't doing it on your own, so your own dev team, it's very likely the, the host server that you are with, they are generating unique IDs and then setting those as either cookies or session IDs, et cetera. Another example of unique but non-identifiable IDs, I just mentioned a minute ago, these are device IDs. So the device IDs on an iPhone. The third type where signals come from is fingerprinting. Again, I just went over this a minute ago with JavaScript doing their own triangulation. But essentially, this is technology that's used that generates a unique, non-identifiable user ID using various data points, such as IP address, browser information, etc. Essentially, depending on the service, might be pulling information from elsewhere and returning a, an, a unique ID that is supposed to be unique to each user based on a lookup. So I'm going to keep this very, very simple to try to explain it so I don't butcher it, but just think an Excel table. So you just have a giant Excel table. 
And there's a combination of an IP address plus browser plus device. And based on that certain combination, it's going, you do a lookup and there's a user ID column. So think about all of those in different columns of an Excel spreadsheet and it'll give you a, a unique user ID. Fingerprint.js is probably the most well-known or at least in, in my world, the most commonly well-known solution for this. They have an open source fingerprint.js that anybody can use on your website or services like Elevar or Triple Whale or Northbeam or whomever, like any other service that is injecting JavaScript in our site, they can also then use or inject uh, fingerprint.js as well to do this or utilize it in some other manner. But even fingerprint.js, if you look at the charts on their website, they don't necessarily claim that they're 100% accurate. And they're open source versus their their paid source. Uh, I'll try to remember to include a chart in the show notes, but their open source is like 50% the accuracy of their of their quote unquote server side user ID generated. Uh, obviously, the, there's a major price difference in that, but they don't claim it's not going to be 100% accurate. And this is where I, I I tend on these type of things. I'll just use common sense of okay, what's what's going on in the world? All right, we know roughly 50% of the world is using. Apple, either Apple Mail or iPhones, and and so I think it was iOS 15 or 16. They all seem to run together at this point, but they're, they've introduced safe browsing where they obfuscate the I, part of the IP address. So when you, so in theory, me, Brad, and a thousand other people across the country, world, state, whatever, if we're all clicking, if we're all using an iPhone or clicking through an Apple device to a website, we could all have the same IP address because Apple's obfuscating part of the IP address. So knowing that, and there's other things, that it's, not, it's not really worth going into too much detail on this podcast, but there's other, other things that are headwinds that are happening out there that's making the ability to identify down to a user very difficult. So knowing that, it's kind of like, well, how if the data points that some services are using to try to triangulate down to a specific user, again, IP, device type, et cetera, if those aren't accurate because we know it's being obfuscated or other things are happening, then that inherently makes the ability to recognize a a unique individual even more difficult and not likely. So this is not a knock on fingerprint at all. This is just more of my just going through as a consumer or as a a business owner of, okay, what is this? What's, What's actually happening out there? Now, there might be some wild technology that fingerprint or others out there are using. And this is likely a space that's going to continue to heat up. But to me, if I think about those three examples of where do signals come from? So user inputs, the non-identifiable IDs generated by the host server or platform, and then the this fingerprinting. My, in my opinion, it's almost in that order in terms of accuracy. Most accurate, user input. Second most accurate, host server that can generate a user ID. And as of today, if it's a server set ID or server set cookie, it's not going to be reset by any of the headwinds like the 24-hour expirations or seven-day expirations. Third would be fingerprinting. So in that order, that would kind of like be my order of most accurate. And future state to me of, of the web is likely to move more and more to a walled garden where login is either happening at the browser. If you haven't listened to the episode that we did with Simo, John and I, roughly four or five episodes ago, we talked a little bit about this as well with some of the Apple and WebKit changes. But without getting off on that tangent on future, future talking, walled garden, logged in, to me, this is likely to become more and more. It's kind of like, is the, are we just going to go back to where everything's the guilt group, where you, everyone has to log in to do anything on the site? And in order to check out, you have to enter your email and no more split testing. 
Are we going to start split te- split testing user identification of, you know, in order to force someone through checkout, they have to log in or create an account. So anyways, so that's where signals come from. The, I would say a nuanced part of where those signals come from is the explicit versus implicit data. So an explicit data, these are user inputs. So if we think about tracking, you have client-side tracking, which is, hey, copy, paste this. JavaScript or image pixel into GTM or into your theme.liquid or whatever it might be, that is going to be implicit data because you are just copying a piece of code and then trusting that that code is not going to be malicious and try to do crazy stuff. And it's going to collect a bunch of data that you don't know. You're not defining what data that particular piece of JavaScript is collecting. It's just doing its thing, collecting what it can from the user's browser or activity on site and sending it back to the platform. So that is implicit that is fingerprinting that is going away uh, it's not a it's not an if it's a when explicit these are defined inputs so conversion apis so facebook conversion api they if it's not there isn't magic in what we're sending to facebook in the conversion api they literally document it if you just go to their site you go to the facebook conversion api docs they'll show you everything that you can send so all their user matching data all of their property data or content ID data, product data, order data, it's listed. And in order to send data to the Facebook conversion API, it's not just it's not a magical signal. Again, just to kind of beat this dead horse, it is literally just if you have an email, you send it. If you have a phone number, you send it. If you have a customer ID, you send it. If it's a transaction and you have an order ID and you have product data, you send it. It is very, very explicit data that if you have it, you send to Facebook. The combination of that data, of the email, the IP address, the user agent, product data, that could be where you call it this term signal. But again, it's not, it's not magic. It is, I'm not underselling what we do or what others do in our space, but I'm keeping it real here. It's, it's, it is not magic. The world is moving to conversion APIs. Why? Privacy, accuracy. We all know that the client side tracking if you are if a channel only has client side tracking likely missing 20 to 30% of the data going back to that convo i mentioned in the beginning with my facebook partner rep 3 or 4 years ago and they said hey our number one focus for next year is we need to get as many brands on a conversion api because our pixel is losing signal what do i need what do i mean by losing signal we know we are missing 20 to 30% of user activity that's happening on a website that our pixel is not picking up. Therefore, our reporting stinks and we can't find more users and we can't operate efficiently. So that is why, to me, conversion APIs and even in what Elevar is doing, we, I would, I would, John does an amazing job with this of, I'm having a brain fart. What is this word called? Evangelize, evangelizing server-side conversion APIs and just working with different platforms that don't have these available. So that's why if you just follow me on LinkedIn, you're hearing about all the all the new integrations that we are continuing to roll out. Many times we're working with the with a channel to help them build out an API to accept this data. And you're seeing moves with Shopify and their checkout of moving to checkout extensibility and their WebPixel API and moving away from checkout.liquid and eventually the order status scripts page where you can't just copy and paste raw JavaScript into your checkout.liquid. That's, again, it's... It's not an if, it's a it's a when, when everything is it's ultimately server-side. And when it is server-side, that's where it goes back to being explicit, where it, you have that list. You have, all right, all right, Facebook can accept these 20 different parameters. The magic is in how to fill those 20 parameters. 
The magic isn't in defining those 20 parameters. The channels define that for us. So that is the, that's explicit versus implicit plus my thoughts on magic. All right, we're going to wrap up with headwinds. You all know the head, headwinds that we're facing. This is the ditch that we're digging. To me, we are digging this ditch. This is the ditch that we are digging and we're digging harder than anyone else. And that is our focus. And the obvious answer to headwinds that we're all facing are the continual iOS updates, starting back with 14, now most recently 17, and probably 18, 19, everything in the future that's gonna be more and more changes to adapt. We'll see WebKit. So iOS and WebKit technically are different entities. WebKit powers Safari, which can also be on desktop. You also can see some of these changes happening with Apple Mail, et cetera. But so some of the other headwinds are the just cookie policy. So this is that user ID type number two, where they are non a unique but non-identifiable IDs. So if a, if a pixel is setting a cookie and they're using that cookie to track a user across multiple sessions, updates that are happening via WebKit slash Safari are expiring that cookie in 24 hours. And so that inherently is headwind where if you use that same user comes back 25 hours apart, that cookie identifier is now two different cookie IDs. So they're not able to connect that user session. So that's why if you look at our Klaviyo integration or some of our Facebook match quality score improvements, we're able with our own magic, if we are able to traverse that headwind and recognize that returning user, even though their cookies are expired, then that inherently is going to make an integration perform better. So more, more activity is connected to a Klaviyo profile, which means more emails can be sent out or more at the card events that are sent to Facebook. We have a higher email match rate or phone number match rate or FBC match rate. And then obviously Facebook's able to better perform because they have more quote unquote signal. The last headwind, privacy, so GDPR, CCPA, everything that's going on. There's more headwinds that are facing the not obvious one might be the the changes that are happening with Shopify in a good way with their checkout extensibility. So it's it's I put it as a headwind because it it's not like I can tell it probably many customers that are listening to this. You have not automatically upgraded to checkout extensibility because there's either feature gaps or migrations that need to happen, whether it's uh, migrating your rebuy implementation or your in addition to tracking. So there's there's things that you need to do before just clicking the upgrade button. So you're, you are able to maintain functionality, tracking, et cetera. All right, so that is my no BS explanation around signals and identification as just data, as data that we're collecting and sending to a channel. If you have any feedback, good or bad, hit me up, brad at getelevar.com or hit me up on LinkedIn. And that's all I got for today. See ya. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Conversion Tracking Playbook. In order to help spread the word and just support the podcast, if you could just take a minute to either share it on Twitter, share it on LinkedIn, send it to colleagues, or just send me feedback. I love reading feedback. I appreciate it. Many of the guests that have been on here, they've just emailed saying, hey, I'd love to join. Here's some topics. That could be you. Just shoot me an email or hit me up on LinkedIn. My email is brad at getelevar.com. And if you enjoy this podcast and you want to give us a rating, I would appreciate that as well. You can rate us on Spotify, Apple, wherever you are listening to this. But at the end of the day, if you could just share this and let others learn more about the world that you live in, the world that I live in with e-commerce and conversion tracking, I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time.